I'm Eric. I'm Lucas. And we are the Modern Agronomists. We are putting a modern spin on an old industry. Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Agronomist with Eric Weber and myself, Lucas Kenyon. Today, we'd like to do a little 2021 year in review, kind of in our eyes, or what we saw, well, what we kind of experienced for the year. Um, overall, I thought it was pretty darn good year. Um, I guess, Eric, why don't you start out with some of the stuff you picked up on or saw? 2021 was one of these years that, I guess, through my career, we'll probably remember for a long time in the Malone area. That's where I'm based out of. Um, between all the crops that you know are predominantly grown, corn, beans, wheat, alfalfa, I would say there was really no crop that... Uh, underperformed we'll start it off with wheat I mean the wheat yields over by us were exceptional very consistent Um, you know I don't think it was a record-breaking wheat yield but I think the consistent 100 bushel wheat and above was more prolific grower to grower than just your normal people who really tend to push wheat and get that 100 bushel I just I would definitely a lot more widespread Um, and just doing a little bit of reading prior you know, to doing this, uh, I read a report and one interesting trend that followed with this report is a lot of the harvest planting, etc., was about two weeks prior to 2020. And I guess when I think of, you know, I just talked about how our wheat yields are exceptional in the Malone area. I think a lot of that tends to be because our planting dates were a little bit better in the fall of 2020 versus the fall of 2019. So, I mean, as we go through this podcast here, I guess just keep in mind this is the – 2021 is the year of two weeks ahead, and that will kind of give us a baseline of how things turned out. Yeah, I I, I guess I'd agree with that. I kind of felt that it was probably the earliest um, most of my growers were out in the fields getting going. Um, It was an incredible amount of soybeans by us over in Ripon area that got – Planted that last week of April. Um, I mean, a couple of our larger growers had, you know, 1,000 acres better of soybeans in before they even thought about switching over to corn. And uh, I kind of, I think that was maybe why we saw some pretty nice bean yields. Um, not much wheat's grown over by us, obviously, as much as maybe by you, Eric. But uh, I would agree that it was, it was probably average by us, um, you know, some of that stuff. A lot of our wheat gets <clears throat> put in so much later after soybeans come off where um, maybe we're at a little disadvantage. But on some of those veggie acres where the guys got in early, we've seen some real good results. Corn yield over by us, I would say if you took in our the geogra- geography that I work in the most, if you took your five-year average, I would say that's probably right where corn was. It was good stuff. We had a pretty significant significant uh, weather event come through ripping. I, I still think it was a tornado, but I guess it was just straight line winds. But we had a lot, a lot of down corn, and um, harvest was pretty miserable. But if we were able to pick it up, we were still right where we needed to be. I guess uh, I get into Winnebago County a lot in the Oshkosh area, and uh, I would think that last year was their best year ever for, for all crops. It was incredible, and I don't know why it was. If it was if they picked up a little bit more moisture or – you know, they got a little bit heavier ground if they held on to some moisture. I mean, in Ripon, I think we were we were almost a week away from 
not disaster, but we got pretty dry where stuff was wrapping up like pineapples. So. Yeah, very, very close by us too. That that middle of June time frame, we were really hurting for rain. The, the corn was starting to look like pineapples, and I, like you just said, I really think we were one week away from a disaster. Yeah, so that ended up, you know, turning out, like I said, okay, but... Again, you know, I look at some of our plots we do or some, you know, take the way we can all for fun. Um, I mean, there are some pretty incredible yields still, you know, but I just think overall we were, we had good stuff. I agree with that trend. You said you read about with everything being a little bit earlier. I, you know, it felt like we were probably in the fields combining a couple of weeks before we normally are. Um, what did you see with where silage? Was that kind of the same thing over by you? That gets a little bit tricky. Yes, silage was earlier, I would say. The one thing I would note is the cob seemed to be well ahead of the plant. And I think because we had a fair amount of moisture going into silage harvest, um, you know, that plant just wasn't quite ready to shut down. I mean, the yields were excellent, but the cobs were definitely hard. The kernel processors were really working hard to get that broke right. up this year. One other, one other thing I think we had really good luck with, I guess, or was a big positive last year is, with getting an early start, um, we kind of got dry in May, and as far as getting spraying done, we were we were on top of everything. Um, with that being said, though, after covering all those acres with oak and rain, um, a lot of our pre's did have quite a few blowthroughs, especially in the beans. So that was a little bit of a challenge. Um, you know, water hemp is a nasty word and a nasty weed that's getting worse and worse every year. But we definitely had a few more fields than we normally have that had some issues. So it was nice to get the work done, but I guess we also need that moisture to keep everything back. Yeah, and I mean, you listen to speakers and podcasts and read articles, and water hemp is definitely a problem. It's been identified. There's some different traits on the market to help, uh, you know, alleviate some of these weed control issues. But with that being said, you know, in my geography in the Malone area, our average field size is, you know, pretty small. So we really depend heavily on pre-emerge herbicide. If we right. if we can't get it on, the odds of ending the season with a clean field is very low. I mean, it, it just won't happen at this point, especially if you have a known weed problem. So, I mean, it gets a little tricky. You, you don't want the rain so you can get your work done, but then you need the right. rain, you know. I guess another thing from last year, I mean, we've talked about ourselves is uh, – a lot of fungicide got put on last year, specifically on wheat, specifically on corn, you know, some soybeans. And some of the results, especially on the wheat that we've seen, were, were pretty incredible. Um, spraying at that flowering point for down levels for scab on the wheat, I guess is what I'm getting at. Um, that's kind of a no-brainer. And I think going forward, at least or by us, not that there's big wheat acres, but I think just about every acre We'll probably be getting an application of that. That was that was kind of a kicking it out of the park. Yeah, I got really really lucky this year where I had a grower that typically grows eighty acres of wheat. He said, "I want you to spray fungicide on fifty five acres. You pick the fifty five acres, and you do what you want to do." So I had some checks in there, and I mean, you know, I guess on some of the products we spray, not just fungicides, but some of the biologicals and some of those other type products, you don't always get the the visual difference, but right. with, you know, Miravis Ace on the wheat, there was extreme visual differences in this wheat. And, you know, I guess when the combines got rolling through the field, 
the harvest followed along with the bright and shiny wheat versus, you know, the little more brown tin tinged wheat. So, uh, yeah, fungicide seems to really, really pay heavily on wheat. And now with our prices approaching, you know, the $8 mark currently today, um, you know, you got four extra bushels. We'll, we'll definitely pay for that application with ease. Yeah. And then in switching over to kind of corn, you know, the dreaded tar spot word, um, I guess where we did have some applications, it, it definitely helped push us through a little bit. Over in Ripon area, I mean, we definitely had tar spot. I think we had some other issues of other diseases as well, but I don't think it was yield limiting over by us. I don't know. What did you see over by you? I would say nothing yield limiting. I would say the inoculum's there. It's here to stay. There was high incidence of infection, but our corn was at the stage that, you know, we, we outpace the disease itself. Um, you know, one thing I guess I would note in the Malone area for our corn planting is we had a lot of fit ground very early, yeah. and I'm sure you did too. But our our soil temperature and our air temperature did not follow that for us. So I had people putting in the ground, I think the earliest was April 16th, and that corn sat in the ground I think for 26 yeah. days before Long it came time. out. Yeah, it was getting to the point where – you know, do we need to get in the replant situation? Do we need to get seed ready because this corn is not coming out and it's been in there almost a month? Did you have much for frost damage? We had a little bit of frost damage. Typically, that was in areas with high residue, lower topography. It, uh, you know, I think it took some yield in cases, but I would say it, as far as affecting the whole field or having to replant we didn't get into any of those scenarios this last year was probably the first year that i got a real good look at it and it it was it was kind of incredible in a couple instances you go out to a field and nothing made sense to me like where you'd think in a low part of the field that's where it would be i mean i had frost up on a hill i had you know obviously along edges was even worse where you know there was maybe some grass and stuff like that but yeah there were some some scary decisions to be made and Finally getting a hold of this, you know, some some reps to come help or, you know, to help make that decision. And I don't think we really had to replant much of anything. We did do some bean replanting because of it, and I think it was a good thing that we did. But, uh, yeah, it, I don't know. I think that's just kind of by chance. Yeah. And, you know, I guess the trend seems to be everyone's pushing the limit a little bit on right. these planting dates, and I don't think that's going to go away, just especially in the soybean world because um, – from what the data suggests, the earlier those beans are in the ground, it seems like the yeah, better they yield. We're definitely and seeing that for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, and even alfalfa, I just want to touch briefly on alfalfa. I mean, our second crop was not the greatest crop, but if you take the year in review of the alfalfa yields in my geography were the best I've ever seen. Um, yeah, the best. I there's people approaching six ton of dry matter, maybe even seven in oh. some cases, some extremely high yields. And, you know, a lot of that is really just a function of rainfall. You had the sure. fertility and we got the right rainfall. We had pretty consistent temperatures. Once we broke the middle of May, we had good temperatures to get these plants growing and recovering. And yeah, I can't speak enough on how big our alfalfa yields were this past season. And which leads me to, you know, I guess not to, bring this up, but we had a really good year. I mean, I, we were under the consensus we've had a really, really great year. And fertilizer prices maybe don't look 
too appetizing for us at the current moment, but I think growers need to understand that we just pulled these humongous crops out of the field and we've got to do a good job replacing what we took. Not that I want to beat the horse dead, but it's just something to think about. I mean, our yields seem to be trending up every year. You know, there's this new level of acceptance. Yeah. I mean, obviously yield drives everything, but with yield at today's prices, um, you know, with yield, we can do pretty well. And, you know, you know, I kind of, challenge challenge a lot of my growers to let's break this down per acre basis on even high prices and then let's go back to 21 and see what the prices were then you know again i know what we need yield there's tremendous risk in farming but with yield i mean i'd almost challenge that we might be better next year even than we were this last year yeah it's a really exciting time to be a grower because we're finally seeing some prices that uh you know, we had went through quite a dry spell where prices weren't as lucrative as they are now, and people are going to experience, you know, with a good yield and an average input, I mean, these acres are going to grow some some right. big dollars, and it's exciting to see. So looking forward now to 2022, is there one thing or something that gets you excited that maybe you learned from last year that you're going to be implementing or looking to do? Yeah, I guess one thing that sticks in my mind is, and we've touched on it already, is if the field is fit but the temperature is not there and you want to get something in the ground and you've got to get started, I'm almost leaning towards moving towards beans at that point because the stand reduction we faced with with putting the corn in the ground in a cold environment just isn't worth it. And I mean, I guess I think of that corn that was planted April 16th, okay, came out 26 days later, and through those 26 days, we literally achieved no growing degree units, like right. almost none. So they were at, they were literally had no advantage over planting at May 15th at that point. Um, so I guess if, I, if I'm going to preach to anyone about if they are interested in getting in the field early let's maybe switch to beans sure. and let's let the ground warm up and get our corn in and get it out of the ground in seven to ten days one thing i guess i'm real excited about for 2022 is uh on one of our former episodes we touched on um product called in vita but just biologicals in general i think i think that's our next step to I'm not saying we're going to increase yield a whole lot, or it just—it's our next piece of a puzzle to help, to help plug in and maybe gain some more. Last year, I feel like a lot of our counterparts did a really good job of truthing some of this stuff out in the field. We we're able to see some data, some real, very positive stuff. But I think going forward, 2022, um, try to do the same, but even maybe even on a larger scale. And I think hopefully we'll be seeing some good results with that. Yeah, Invita is an exciting product, and I think we've placed it on a fair amount of corn acres that we feel comfortable talking about it, but there are some people that are going to start placing it on some other acres. I'm going to have a trial coming in 2022 on alfalfa with Invita to increase crude protein, Um, so that'll be something to stay tuned to. But, um, yeah, if you guys haven't heard the word Invita, uh, maybe – talk to the person you're working with but Invita is basically a bacteria that infects a plant and helps it produce its own nitrogen um, and in today's age with you know the the nitrogen market being where it's at this could help alleviate some of the cost but or or maybe just take you to that next level of yield that you're trying to achieve 
Well, I think we kind of summed up a little bit, a little time going over what we felt 2021 was about. Hopefully 2022 is as good or better. Take advantage of some of these prices, and uh, we'll see what happens.